And welcome to another episode of Two Medics and One Mike. Your presenters are Imran Lasker and Thrusha Gudwatna. So hello and welcome to another episode of the Two Medics podcast. My name is Imran Lasker. I'm a consultant radiologist. Hi, I'm Thrusha Gudwatna. I'm a cardiology registrar subspecializing in intervention. And today we have with us... Hi, I'm Ben Lovell. I'm an acute medicine consultant with a special interest in medical education and a bit of academia. Yeah. Oh, is that it? And not, and not biceps? <laughs> I wonder the when the arms would come in. <laughs> I wondered when these babies would get mentioned. Yeah. Straight away. Straight away. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're especially interested in those. Oh my God, so impressive. <laughs> What's your secret, man? What's your secret? Do, every time you get a terrible referral, do you just do a curl or is that how it works? <laughs> every time I do a workout, I go, I better take a picture of these and send it to Imran. I'll stick it on. <laughs> They're looking funny today. <laughs> Uh, it was funny it was funny this week i was uh you know now we've got two accounts we've got the two medics account and the and our own accounts and i I forgot which one i was tweeting on and i think someone said like which one are you are you imran or thrusha and i was like oh yeah good point this could be fun and then i started just like spewing out like you know i was just spilling out my heart yeah you know sometimes i uh take photos of my guns and send them to my friends hoping they give me some uh good remarks back because if i'm not worked out then they look like linguini and they still couldn't figure it out. They couldn't figure it out. They were, oh, there could be anyone. It could be either two, either one wow. of you. Yeah, yeah. Under the veil of anonymity, it all came out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Absolutely. It was good fun. It was good fun. So, yeah, so you're, you're saying you do a press-up every time you get a bad referral. Uh, we've got a tweet along those lines, don't we, Thrusha? What was that tweet again? Oh, my God. So this was one... So I think it was originally... Was it by Zander? He was talking about how there was a call... Was it Zander? No, it wasn't. But anyway, someone who had hematuria. At least that was the call, like, uh, to urology on call. Like, really come and see this person who's got hematuria. And it turned out they're menstruating. I think there are a number of different levels to this. What do you guys <laughs> think of that? I mean, you have to be kind, right? How do you feed that back? Do you feed it back? No, because no. <laughs> if it was like no. a pattern of horrendous referrals from the same person, that deserves to probably be mentioned at some point. But everyone's allowed to have a little brain fart and, and you know, do something a bit silly. No? Or am I, or am I being too kind? I know. I think, I think it's a nice attitude. But I mean, you must get a fair bit doing what you do. Acute medicine, that's right. You yes, must get a few yes. very strange I was a medvet for seven years. Mm. I've had a lot of... I'm just making, we're checking in my head the statute of limitations has run out and I'm not going to duff up a bad referral. I got into <laughs> Yeah, I've had some pretty crazy stuff. You know, I remember I had a, a referral about a woman with gastroenteritis because she was vomiting every morning for the last few days and she'd put on a bit of weight on the middle and her periods oh. had stopped and eventually all this, the bits clicked into place and she said, oh yeah, I guess I could be pregnant after all. And I remember wow. once I got a phone call as the medreg saying there's a neonate, a preterm neonate, who's having hypoglycemia attacks. Could you give us some advice about sugar management or or insulin or dextrose? And I said, I'm oh going to stop talking now before I get before I kill a baby over the phone and get everyone in mm. the hot water. No, I can't give you any advice about that. But they thought sugar was sort of a medical thing, and that comes to me. But most referrals are not bad, I think. You know, we laugh at the very rare duffers, in my opinion. Mm, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, I think I spoke about one of the worst referrals I had was when that lady, they thought she had a DVT, but she was actually going to labour. I mean, I've had some crazy ones over the years. I don't know how to take it. I mean, I guess you're right if you see a pattern of it. But then there must be a point where it's like, it's so, so much that you might need to sort of take it a little bit further. Maybe find that person and say, listen, I mean, in truth, in radiology, I never bother. I just say, oh, I was a dodgy referral or whatever. I did the best I can. I can't bother to make more phone calls. I mean, do you guys feel like you, you should 
you should feed that back? I think I used to kind of think it was more important when I was more junior. Like I used to think, oh, you know, and I'd try and frame it like, you know, oh, we should do like a CBD, like a CBD or something and try and do it in that way. But then mm. what I realized was in becoming like a junior registrar that like in even just in kind of saying that I thought perhaps someone had got something wrong, that often that person would feel kind of crushed by that. And I was like, mm. actually, I don't think it's necessarily that helpful as a learning experience. So unless it's something that, I don't know, I think it's, it's kind of really difficult to do well. And mm. I also found that I wasn't doing it very well. Certainly from like what I was seeing in terms of how the interactions were going, I don't, I don't feel like it was necessarily that. And people are under a load of stress and stuff anyway, right? And so I mm. guess like when you're on call, like trying to do like a good teaching and stuff, isn't that, isn't necessarily the best kind of environment for it. So um I guess in this scenario, though, with the hematuria, it kind of makes you wonder if they'd examine the patient, though, mm. I guess, which is probably also, I don't know. But I, I bet the referrer felt really stupid after he pointed it out. I bet yeah. they felt stupid enough that they hadn't thought and they hadn't checked. I think mm. most people are making referrals and they make a mistake in good faith. Yeah. That's my yeah. optimistic view. Yeah, I mean, I like to no, think so, good. too. I mean, it reminds me when I was doing a urology job, there was a patient that we had whose HB had dropped significantly overnight. And then I think the junior had come in, saw that it dropped quite significantly and said, day team to review. And that was like hours, hours, it took hours. And I was a bit surprised. And I think my consultant was really angry. And they were like, I want to find this person. I want you to find them and bring them to me. I'm going to talk to them. And I felt kind of bad. So I was like, you know what, let me talk to them. I'm sure it's fine. And then I was in this situation where like I kind of had, I didn't want to be the person to give feedback, but I thought it'd be better that I do rather than have that consultant go have a massive go at this person. Right. And I, I was just finding it really weird. Like, how am I going to do this? And I actually took them to like one of the storage rooms where they had all the cannulas and stuff. And I just spoke to him and explained like, you know, there was this issue, you know, you're a junior, just always make a phone call to someone more senior. Don't make these kind of decisions overnight. And I felt really bad and he didn't say anything to me. He just kept quiet the whole time, just staring at me. And I thought, okay, well, I don't really know where to take this. So anyway, that's something I should tell you. We moved on. I actually bumped into him years later and we were actually going on good times. You know, I think a bit sheepish about the whole thing. Like, oh, maybe he remembers me because of that one time, but it never came up and I never brought it up. Like, oh, do you remember all those years ago that I, um, I gave you that feedback? But, you know, you kind of have that situation where like, you're trying to be nice. You're trying to be nice as possible, right? But then there was that interesting thread that came in, which Thrusha, you quite liked, didn't you? About yeah. being nice versus being kind. I mean, what did you guys make of that? There was a very nice, a long thread. Lots of learning yeah. from that one. Yeah, so there's a thread by Hassan Ali Beg, who kind of... So he starts it with a tweet that says, Ruminations are between night shifts. In light of recent news, I've been thinking a lot about bully, incivility and toxic personalities in the workplace. More specifically, can these people change? And he linked to this really good article that I do rec I recommend. So it's by... a. Dr. Christian Jarrett, who talked about being who you want and the difference between being nice and being kind. Do you guys want to elaborate mm. on what you think on that? Yeah, Ben, what do you think? Well, I think being, you can say some pretty unkind, some pretty cruel stuff quite nicely. Mm. I've had people very nicely and calmly explain to me before why I shouldn't be allowed to get married or have certain rights, or people can very nicely explain some pretty horrendous ideology to you. Being mm. nice is more of a, of a moral thing. Is, is, sorry, being kind is more about having the ability to try and have a compassionate view and see where the other person's coming from. Um, mm. Whereas being nice to me means being civil. And you can be civil and dress up all kinds of cruel and horrible shit by being in the guise of being civil and thinking it's acceptable. And it absolutely is not. That's the difference to me. Wow, I never thought of that. I never thought of that. I never, ever thought of that. Yeah, as in like... A I mean, I guess I just um, never saw that. I mean, yeah, I know that someone can be polite, but I never saw that, you know, they can be polite, but quite mean. 
But I never thought about being nice and kind being two different things. I mean, the fact that someone could be, yeah, you're right. I mean, you're right. I mean, someone could have some horrendous views and say it in a nice, nice way. Yeah. Yeah. That and is... they, could, they can dress it up and say things like, oh, we're just respectively disagreeing, aren't we? And it's like, well, yeah. we can respectfully disagree about, you know, whether pineapple yeah, goes on yeah, a pizza. Yeah. We can't respectfully disagree about whether I get certain rights because it's my life. Yeah. You are mm, debating. Yeah. Absolutely. So that's the difference. Absolutely. And it gets framed like, I was just asking a question and then you'll get, you then get framed as the angry person for having, but you know, and they are like legitimate questions, all that stuff. Mm. Inevitably, what, well, I think what happens is you get asked these kind of, provo- kind of, it's provocative, but mm. under the guise of, and the thing is, is that the onus then is on that person who's, as you say, like it's their life to kind of operate within this kind of really narrow framework of civility when actually it's kind of. It's gaslighting, I think. Like it's called sea lining on Twitter. I learned that a while ago. Have oh, you heard that? Right? No, no. What does it mean? It's called like... sea lining, as in a sea lion. I don't know why it's called sea lining. I bet it's a really interesting story. But it's when someone poses a question, apparently in good faith and worded very nicely, often with just asking or just interested at the end. But in fact, they have absolutely no intention of ever engaging with you meaningfully. And it's mm. kind of it's to provoke. Yeah, anyone yeah. knows why it's called sea lining, send me a tweet because uh, I'd like yeah. to look it up. Well, mm. I think, so, so I've Wikipedia'd it. The term originated in a 2014 strip, um, so uh, a kind of webcomic called Wondermark, and the character expresses a dislike of sea lions, and a sea lion intrudes to repeatedly ask her to explain her statement and attempting in an exaggeratedly civil manner to interrogate her views. So I guess it's the incessant questioning that you get from these trolls, isn't it? Yeah, concerned trolls. Yeah. You know, respectfully asking, uh, but why do you really think we should be wearing, you know, rolling vaccines out to children? And you think, oh, here someone is interested, but in fact, their agenda is not to engage in a, in a conversation. Hey, but it looks nice. It looks civil. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Not in good faith, is it? I guess the difference is that they're engaging in conversation where they're not actually trying to learn something. They're trying to push their own agenda across. And that's that's the issue. I think there was quite an interesting conversation that emanated from that as well, where someone was talking about, can people change? Did you see that? I think there was a nice little conversation there about, you know, can people change if they're, if they're unkind or not nice? Can they become nice and can they become kind? And, uh, you know, what is, a, what is a motivation for that, you know? I mean, can people change? Do you think that that's possible? Digging deep now. I know, I'm really, I'm pushing you, I'm pushing you this week. <laughs> can people change? Uh, yeah, I think so. I think so. I think people change if there's a, you know, sometimes when someone has a big life event or something and they can see things another way around. Mm. Yeah. I don't know. Can people change ingrained personality traits, though? Maybe I'm a bit more cynical about that. I mean, yeah, I, well, depends on, do you really believe in ingrained personality traits? I mean, like, I, I've got to say, I've, I really, really respect people who can. And um, furthermore, people who can admit to it as well, that's even more difficult, right? It's not only mm. like making that incremental change and pretending that they didn't think that way all along. But also like admitting to being wrong. That's why I love to see like an apology and stuff. But like mm. I've got to, you know, you've got to rate people who do change. I've noticed like Imran, you've changed like a, a, in, in a good way. Not that you were bad before. Oh my god! But like you know, you change. <laughs> Carry on. And like Carry you admit on. to being wrong. And pe- you know, I really respect that. I really respect yeah, that. Yeah, no. Um, so I hope that people do. But in a, but I guess it, it was in kind of reference to like bullies and calling it out, right? Mm. And so and it was Pathos who was saying what. Oh, and, you know, despondently, because you do, you do see when people get to certain positions, the kind of impetus on them to change is perhaps less, isn't mm. it? Because they're perhaps in a position. So then it really comes down to ego. Like, mm. are they in a place where egotistically they feel safe enough or 
you know, feel, I don't know, uh, feel kind of is it secure enough, or maybe I don't know even if that's the right word. If they have enough insight to want to change, I think they're all different things, right? I mean, we've spoken about this before, haven't we? I, I, I use that silly quote about from Brooke Shields, and she said that you stop growing up the day you become famous, and the reason for that is that everyone becomes a yes person around you. They start saying yes to you. They don't argue with you. You kind of just get away, and you kind of lose that sort of outward pressure to sort of mold yourself into what could be, you know, the person that fits into a certain environment, right? And um, I think as a consultant, I felt that there is that tendency to feel like, oh, well, you know, I'm a consultant, I can do this, I can do that. And you kind of almost have to reel yourself back in. Have you, have you noticed that, Ben, or have you, have you managed to keep yourself quote? grounded? Who was that quote, did you say? Uh, I think it was Brooke Shields years oh, ago. years ago. That's not silly. Go it's Brooke, good, go Brooke Shields with your great quote. <laughs> She's her. got some good ones. I like She's her. got some good ones. You should look her up. You should look her I've up. She's got some great ones. I've always liked her, and now I know why. Did you ask me a question? Sorry. <laughs> I was so excited about this. Yeah, I did. I did. I was talking about, you know, being a consultant. Have you found that people are a bit more, have you, have you found it yourself having having to reel yourself back a bit? You know, like sometimes you can be like, hang on, you can't talk about that. I'm like, I'm a consultant. And something, actually, you know what, let me take that back. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, very much. People do treat you differently when you're a consultant. No mm. doubt. For example, if I want to cut through a, some, a bit of nonsense at work, I just call the person directly and say, hi, it's Ben Lover here, the medical consultant on call. Mm. And things happen, which maybe wouldn't have happened if I rang and said, hi, I'm the SY2, I'm the SHO or something. Mm. Um, and why is that? Because I'm wiser than all the others? No. Mm. You, you know, hit me against this SHO doing cases and they'll wipe me out the park with their uh, medical knowledge. Mm. But because there is an authority and a hierarchical gradient that comes with the title consultant mm. and people treat you a little bit differently. Mm. Um, I'd like to think that if I messed up at work, I'd be able to say, yeah, I've messed up mm. um, and apologize to people. But I do know other people of my grade who do not feel, I don't think they would do that either. Mm. But I mean, this is the thing I've noticed that, I mean, from colleagues and being working in a few places now that, um, yeah, you, I mean, as you know, Ben, you've got different grades of consultants and different consultants have got different personalities and some you know, they, they become so senior, maybe even prof level. I'm, I'm not pointing to another, uh, my, the prof I've mentioned a few episodes prior. But, um, you know, there are some prof levels that start to, um, I don't know, feel like they can get away with quite a lot. And I'm not saying that's what happened in this situation, but we did see a certain hospital lose their trainees. Did you see that? Yeah. It, was a, it was a cardiothoracics. It was a cardiologist again, was it? Is that what it is? No, mate, it's a surgeon spray. I mean, oh, I'm, okay. sure the cardio- I'm, sure the, I'm sure the cardiologists are probably involved. All right. Okay. Yes. Sorry. <laughs> sorry. sorry. But I think it was at the Freeman in uh, Newcastle, and there was just like a toxic environment, apparently for some time, and so they just mm. removed the trainees. Well, I can definitely give you the scoop on that because I trained at the Freeman in the cardiothoracic unit when I was a CMT. Ooh, this is ten, eleven years ago now, and I've got to say, at the Freeman when I was a CMT two, I was bullied mercilessly in that department. Um, by very senior, very famous professorial types who are very, very good at what they do. But I had a terrible four months there, absolutely awful. And at the end of it, I was desperate to leave. I was too frightened to speak in the workplace. Everything I did was they second guessed that they had a comment, a little comment for, I remember on a ward round, I was trying to be so nice and so likable and so helpful. And mm. they say things like, okay, oh, it was one guy who goes, let's just prescribe some, uh, some prophylactic clexane for this patient. I said, yeah, no problem. He we went, well, there is a problem because you didn't think of it. I had to think of it. Every little thing had a dig like that. And it culminated in a patient's room with a kid who'd had a um, transplant. And the consultant hit me over the head with the patient's paper notes because I had, in commas, let him prescribe erythromycin to a patient who shouldn't have had it. 
And he did it and he went, hang on a minute, you're here to stop me making these mistakes and smack me over the head with a note. And I kind of laughed it off because I just felt so unbelievably hideous about it. And he left. And the patient's dad said to me, are you, are you all right? Do I have to report that to someone? I said, oh God, please don't. He's my educational supervisor. If this is a, I just need to get through this and get out. But I had an absolutely terrible time there. And I was too meek, especially by the end, to speak up because these people were gods in the medical world. They, they mm. made money, they published papers, they saved lives. Um, and I was nothing. I was a, but a lowly CMT, um, mm. but the most junior person around because it was such a specialized unit. Um, and when I read that article, I was like, wow, 11 years later and something happened. I could, I should have spoken up then, but I wasn't the kind of person who felt able to stand against such giants. The, the hierarchy was absolutely vertical. And that's my story. Mm. But Ben, if if you had, I mean, well, I don't think uh, it doesn't sound like you're a meek mate. You're just trying to get through. And the thing is, is that I can imagine that people with that level of power, if you'd have tried to call them out, I mean, what do you think would have happened? I imagine like absolutely I mean, nothing. Sure... He was my. He would have made my. They would have made my life much more miserable. Um, yeah, been like, while I was there, oh, I would have been a troublemaker. Mm. Yeah, exactly, exactly. But then, what do you think yeah. will happen to them now? Mm. They've had the trainees taken I don't away. Know. What do you think? Will I mean, I, you you want to take away the the toxic people rather than take away the yeah. trainees? Mm. You can't because these people, I say, these are. And mate, the Freeman is up there as one of the biggest transplant hospitals in the world. Mm. And, you you know, these people are not replaceable. You can't just take them out. And um, I mean, they could say you're not supervising trainees anymore, but then who's going to do it? So they pulled away, pulled out their trainees, I guess. Uh, and it's, I, I think it's been a long time coming. If it's the same as it was when I was there, if mm. this has been a long time coming. But yeah, I mean, it feels like you're punishing. The, I mean, what, what's really going to change? I think it's the, the value... It's difficult to really know. Like I, when I, I mean, I've spoken about certain personalities that I've seen that are very highly achieving, and then you know the the outcome is good. You know, the outcome is good. They're they're pushing research, they're making changes, they're saving lives, but the intention behind it and the way they're doing it probably isn't so good. Or you know what I mean? Like they're maybe they're only doing it to try and further themselves, make themselves more famous, and then this byproduct is helping people and furthering research. And then the way they do this is by, you know, belittling people, bullying people, but the outcome is still, you know, a, a good outcome in terms of the helping people. It, it's so difficult to really know because for us, obviously, we're like, well, you know, they shouldn't be bullying. But from the hospital's point of view, that you've got people that are being saved, from the patient's point of view, they're probably having a good experience of yeah. that doctor, mm -hmm. right? So, yeah. Have you noticed that as well? Like sometimes you get these really big people and they're not that nice to you, but to the patients, they're like amazing. Yeah, they're like, oh, yeah. this person's fantastic. So then, you know, who do you side with? Do you side with the patients and, and the outcomes or do you side with the trainees? Because like you say, Ben, it's as a trainee, would you really offer the place? I'm just saying it's difficult, isn't it? Like I wish things were balanced the other way around, but you can almost see why it doesn't. Well, like there is that line, isn't it? The marker of a person's humanity is how well they treat the people that they don't have to be nice to. Mm, and definitely. yeah you, like you know the patients are like customers and i guess like if they come away saying oh this place is terrible then it will mark uh, reduce the reputation and mm. i think like there's i mean yeah they probably have like an almost impenetrable level of arrogance whereby taking the trainees away is probably not going to change them very much but let's mm. be honest like this has gone throughout the uk everyone's talking about it and for people like mm. this where you know everything everyone knows everyone and you know mm. there's not that many degrees of separation from one person to the other like, can you imagine like the level of ego to hit someone over the head and be like, you let me do this thing. Like how, the mm. amount of like cognitive dissonance there is to kind of apply that to a trainee for something that you've done. Like you should stop me from making this mistake. Like how, like how many levels of like d dissonance there are. 
imagine just the, the prestige of having their trainees taken away it must help on some level. Like it probably won't change their behavior, but ultimately, I guess. Well, the prop that someone has to do those jobs, they'll take away their trainees, and well, they'll probably have to recruit loads of mm. non-training doctors to, to keep up the work, and they'll still treat them like the, the, yeah. like they took the trainees. Mm. Yeah. yeah, I mean, but that's the thing. We've talked about this place, but I know of other places have had exactly the same situation. I'm not sure why this particular place hit the news. But I know of a radiology scheme that ended up having this situation with the trainees being pulled away. Definitely, mm. 100%. Within my training life, that happened somewhere. And um, they were dispersed all through London in the end. And I, I heard they eventually went back to their base hospital. But this is not uncommon. I don't think it is. You know, I really don't think it is. No, no. Trainees often think that their feedback doesn't go anywhere. It just doesn't get shredded or filed, but it does. And if mm. there is consistent, very, very negative trainee feedback from department year after year and the department has not taken this opportunity to improve it they will have trainees will get removed i think okay. trainees need to know that they need to know that it's worthwhile to, to be submitting this uh, feedback honestly but i mean yeah i think it is important oh no come on would this have been through the gmc survey then that that's happened yeah mostly the gmc but also through other departmental feedbacks mm. but the gmc is what captures it the most and it's the gmc is not respected by trainees at all because they feel and they don't see evidence mm. of it actually affecting change. But um, as someone who's been on the other side and, you mm. know, have, we have to explain our GMC results to, to higher powers for each department, it, it does count for something, especially concerted, negative, sustained feedback. It does have, have a power. And I hope that trainees know that. So, to, I mean, obviously, I mean, this is a topic because of Imran's experience that we've kind of covered before. And I just wondered for people listening who are kind of experiencing behaviours like that. So that's what they should be doing. The GMC survey. What other mm -hmm. avenues would you suggest when you say department like pals or say so because in your experience as your educational supervisor. So what yeah. would you have advised Ben back then to do, if anything? Well, now I know. Now I know the system from from within. So I know mm. that I had to go to my training program director. Now we'd have a, we have a freedom to speak up for a person in every trust who I could have gone to as well. I could have gone to HEE, I could have gone to deanery. But then I think even then I was still would have been too frightened to do that because they mm. would have asked him and them for a com for a statement and then it would have drifted yeah. back down to me in the form of me being abused even worse. So I was a four month rotation. I was like, you, I had a training number in London all lined up. I was gonna get out of there. I just had to get out. Mm. And because change happens glacially slowly. What has it been, 11 years since my experience? Mm. I can see why people think I just got to get out and, and I'll be okay. You know, I, I can't mm. fight an 11 year fight here for all the people who come after me. I can see yeah, why people think enough. that I did. I mean, there was another place, believe it or not, where I think the training scheme got call, uh, called up on something similar, a lack of senior cover or something. And it was the weirdest thing ensued. There was a lot, all of a sudden there was a lot of negative feeling between the, the trainees and the consultants because someone's dobbed on someone. That, that was a kind of feeling. It was so weird. It was so weird. And then, you know, what happened was they actually brought the, the oh, what they called, not TPD, the, the regional, regional person, head of training of the region to come in. And instead of, indiv you know, doing individual interviews and stuff, they had all the trainees sitting in a room. Right. And they start asking these questions like, OK, so it's in fact, what is the cover like? Is there not senior cover? And no one's going to put them hands up in front of a oh room God. full of other trainees and say, you know what? I'm the one that flagged it. And this is what I think. It was the most bizarre situation because everyone was suddenly so positive. Yeah. Everyone was like, no, it's the best place in the world. It's amazing. And there was like one or two that you could tell kind of wanted a Bonkers. job in the long term. And they were really fighting for it being the best place on the planet. And I'm thinking if this is the best place on the planet, why do you think you're called here? There's someone here that's not not happy. We should find that person, have a confidential conversation. But having said that, I think thinking back to where I was, 
if my, you know, I did flag the place of bullying and stuff, and if they did do individual interviews, I'd be worried about the non-verbal, the non-written down conversations that are happening in the background. You just need someone to give a nudge and a wink. So who was it? And then, and, and then you just, you could just feel like that. That kind of paranoia was really in my the back of my head. Like, how far am I willing to really take this? And I guess that's what you felt, Ben. Like, yeah. how much are you willing to give up? You know, for for Tra- trainees do not feel safe passing feedback up the hierarchy because mm. it isn't safe. It isn't mm. safe in most institutions. I would say. I recently mm. uh, this year I didn't. I tried to do a junior doctor MSF for my mm. professional growth and development, and I sent it out and said, guys, it is completely anonymous. Sent out to about fifty juniors I'd worked with over the year. Please say, you know, good and bad, and this is about how I develop as a consultant. It's anonymous, mm. so obviously don't be mean, but. Anyway, I did it, and, and I read the MSF, and it was all lovely. I mean, maybe I'm perfect, but mm, it was all <laughs> yeah. really, really good feedback. Obviously. Dr. Lovell is a wonderful consultant, and I thought this is great to read. And I, you know, I'll read it if I'm having a shift in and to make myself feel good mm. again. Whoops, yeah. that sounded a bit like therapy. I shouldn't have said that out loud. <laughs> but uh, I don't think it was a hundred percent honest because even with anonymity assured, they, I don't think they felt safe. They thought mm. I'd go, hey, could we have a meeting uh, tomorrow about that thing you said on my feedback? You said I wasn't very good at this. I need to work on this, uh, mm. you know, and then something negative happened. <laughs> and I think does drive a lot of what fee- a trainee do and say. Mm. Or you see, you suddenly be like, oh, well, someone says I'm like this. Well, everyone is now yeah. going to suffer because of that one no person. No one is leaving released. this room <laughs> until the person who wrote it has their hand. Uh, yeah it's so true yeah i mean that those are the worries but you know i was thinking we were speaking about this like staff grades do, who do they go to in these situations yeah. are, they, are they treated less than trainees would you say i mean we've seen someone talk about that haven't we you mean like trust yeah. grades yeah yeah trust grades yes trust, yeah. Grade, trust grades or staff grades i think they are they interchangeable because I, I remember we've met i've had a few staff grades come through our trust but i guess the trust grades now but yeah i sometimes get the feeling that they're probably getting the you know the uh the hard end you know as in you know they're not getting a good deal they're kind of made to do a lot of service and you know like if they're not having a good time what do they do they just go find another job somewhere else i mean i feel like they don't have as much as much say in what's happening to them have you guys seen that i guess yeah for me in my department i every time i have a trust grade i'm always absolutely pathetically grateful um to them because it meant they've come and they've saved the day they fake my department because we were understaffed and they've applied for this job and been appointed. And I'm just so grateful to have them on my team. And they come to all of the AMU teaching sessions we do. But no, they won't get invited to the IMT tech training because they're not an IMT. They won't get invited to the FY training because they're not a foundation doctor. So mm. they sort of do have to forge their own path. And I don't know if there's many people around to help them with mm. that. Yeah, I mean, maybe they should be given some sort of mentor or someone to, you know, a go-to person. Yeah, well, I think like Suresh, I mean, you're kind of referencing a tweet from Suresh who I think he mm. was a kind of um, the, he said the LED rep, so the locally employed doctors, that's what they're calling trust doctors. And mm. so I think I think they tend to get reps. And generally, when I've seen kind of fellow kind of uh, ad job adverts, they've been along the lines of trying to support people for Caesars and things like that. But his study mm. was really nice. It kind of talked about how, there is a system obviously that supports trains and develops trainees and he feels that often that is at the expense of those local doctors who then have to kind of look after the ward and stuff understandably someone has to right Mm. but then he said that from that perspective therefore there's going to be a recruitment issue there like you know because as you say the training issue the training is going to be less good and yeah not as good yeah i think 
You know, I told you, don't I tell you guys, I've, um, I've become a mentor for someone who is going to take on a staff grade job. I don't know why, but they messaged me the other day saying they were, they were looking for a mentor. Would I, would I like to be their mentor? And I found that, you know, I didn't really know what to do with them. But I've had some mentoring myself and I'm using it with them and it seems to be going quite well. I guess for me anyway, it seems to be that if you just listen to their problems or what they're thinking, sometimes it's easier to sort of reflect what they're thinking and give them a bit more structure about where they need to go. So with this particular person, they had the FRCR, they got they had to do the PLAB, the FRCR, get GMC registered and look for a job. And then we had to try and figure out like how we're going to do so many things at the same time, whether it was worth like concentrating on one thing before the other, what's harder out of all the things and to kind of prioritize what they were going to do. And I mean, he says it's been very useful and it's all unofficial, but maybe just having someone to talk to is a, a good way, a good thing to have, don't you? Don't you think just, I mean, that's maybe what they need, you know, if it's not just... Just making uh, being felt like they are they're important, like it sounds like Ben, you're you're doing quite a good job of. Yeah, and you said the yeah. same for the locums, right? You feel the same way about your locums. I have strong views on this. I think locums should be treated like the royalty that they are, because they are like <laughs> fairy godmothers. They come in and they absolutely <laughs> save uh, the department. Um, I've got a really great bunch, core bunch of locums, and I always make sure that they are treated very well. I give them. You know, lots of notices as I can. First dibs on any shifts that are coming up. Make sure they're all paid promptly. All the paperwork's done ASAP because I owe them. They, they're abs- and they're all absolutely fantastic. And mm. yeah, I'm one day I'll write a little monograph about how to treat your locums because they wow. really do deserve a lot of respect because I know they just saved me on so many occasions. Mm. I mean, that references quite well. There's a tweet from um, H. Hassan, I think his name is. Um, where he says that uh, often he finds it quite difficult when he emails the locum timesheet to the rotor coordinator. They don't even get a response to say whether it's been received or not. And sometimes we'll see someone is payslip, sometimes won't. Yeah, I mean, I've certainly had that experience. And I remember once not hearing anything about it for about two, three months. And then, being like, you know, what's going on? And they were like, oh, we haven't received any forms. And then when I started to do that, oh, no, we've got the forms, but you've done them in a different way. And now they're duplicate forms and all this kind of stuff. And it was just, it just drove me completely crazy. Well, you'll lose them. They'll They'll go to a different locomate. They'll go to a different hospital. Yeah, absolutely. You've got to treat them right. Because when I come on my knees saying, oh, my God, we've got absolutely no staff this Friday. Do you have any availability? Can you do it? Maybe there's a bit of goodwill in there. And they can say, oh, all right, I'll do hardly the second half of the shift, Ben, for you uh, for locomate. Um, and it's great mm. when they do that. So I don't see why. What do you gain from treating your locum so poorly? Because they're going to desert you and we need them. Mm. But then I've noticed that over the years, like uh, when I did some medical jobs, sometimes we used to have a locum and people are like, oh, great, we've got a locum. You know, oh, here we go. Here's yeah. a locum and stuff. They, they kind of look down on them, don't they? Like, oh, you know, we're not. Then you, when you come in as a locum, actually someone who I, who's a good friend of ours, actually, Thrusha, said that they love locuming because they, they when you come in as a locum, everyone's got low expectations of you. Yeah. And you, it's not hard to like surpass those expectations. People are like, oh man, this person's actually quite good. And then they start, you know, trusting you to to do the job. Yeah, uh, which is a shame, isn't it? Like, uh, I mean, not all locums are bad, but for some reason, some places feel as though uh, locums aren't all that good. Yeah. Well, yeah, more for them, more for them. Absolutely. You know, when, I, when, I, when we have locums coming in, the overwhelming emotion in my department is absolute relief and gratitude to say, oh, thank God. I thought we were going to be mm. so understaffed today. I'm so pleased you're here. That's my <laughs> response. Yeah. 
that is nice. Speaking about cover, I mean, they're just a kind of a casual yeah. nod to the tweet by uh, Katrina Farrell, who talked about, I think they've since reworded it, and the University of Glasgow, they did this job advert that said, so this post is on a part-time basis, and it's to cover maternity on a month-to-month basis for up to nine months, or until the substantive post holder returns from maternity leave, or in the event of her resignation, whichever date is earlier, <laughs> <laughs> which is uh, blunt. I guess maybe they had a word limit or something. They don't think mm. she's coming back, do they? <laughs> yeah, yeah. They're, I mean, what's going on here? So there's a subtle message in that particular job advert that's saying that there could be a few issues here that may mean that, you know, we might want to keep you over the person that's normally here. Is that is that what's going on? Yeah, quite possibly. Yeah. Yeah, I guess so. You could read it like that. Oh, I mean, I, I read it like she's probably going to resign now. She's got a baby. So I thought that's what, I thought it was like oh, oh that's yeah that, that was my mm. reading of it like they thought she's she's not coming back now she's got her baby I thought it was that sort of thing I see but we were talking earlier weren't we Ben but sometimes you could when you see a job advert like you kind of know that they're saying something that's not being said you know like um, they'll say like you know with the radiology ones would be like oh you know they need to have FRCR they need to be subspecialized this and they'll be need to, they'd also need to be subspecialized in fetal cardiac you know ultrasound and you think sorry fetal cardiac why would i there's no training scheme that does that clearly you've got someone who works yeah. there that you want to keep and you kind of already know okay that is not a job you want to be applying for that's not yeah. how i'm going to go i mean you know that right i mean does that, has that ever happened to you ben where you kind of look at a job job advert and you think yeah you know yeah whenever a consultant uh, a post is very specifically advertised it's because they know who they want to appoint and they're trying to appoint their favorite candidate i'm pretty sure that's widespread at consultant application it's someone they've got mm. local as they've written the job ad for them. Mm. I mean, it's still, you could still swoop in and you could pick it up as you're the better candidate. But, and I've heard of that happening a couple of times, but I think that's pretty mm. widespread for, for consultant posts. Yeah, I, th- I think so too. I mean, I was quite lucky with my consultant post. No one else turned up for the interview. So it's like, well, if you don't <laughs> take me, then I don't know what you're going to do. Yeah, it was very lovely indeed. Did that make you feel good or like... I love that. I love that. Literally, you, you know, okay. do you, I don't know if you remember the years ago, I think it was in the Olympics, there was an Australian guy and he was doing speed racing. Do you remember this? And uh, he actually said, like, listen, the only way I'm going to win this is if everyone fall, else falls over. And that's exactly what happened. Everyone Hooray. else fell over and he went yeah. on one gold. He became so famous in Australia that it became mm, like... That smells like sabotage to me. <laughs> it was so good. <laughs> but that literally is a story of my life. You know, that's what... It, someone's going to say he's done an Imran and that's exactly what it is. Everyone else fell over... People forgot to put the application in and I swooped in and took, and, and won the day. That's exactly no, how well, I reckon it's because they just wanted you so much that they just they gave everyone else the wrong date or whatever. And that's what it was. Oh, yeah, was of course. So yeah, yeah, that, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, uh, yeah. But, so that topic links quite well to Partha's thread, right? So he did a thread mm. a little while ago, which talked about the number of kind of BAME. So for consultant posts, the number of BAME applications to... B-A-M-E. Yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah. we don't like the term, do we? But for the sake of the, t- I mean, he even acknowledges that the term's not great. But from the pers- mm. purposes of the tweet, he was kind of saying that if you're from a minority background, that you'd have to apply significantly more often to get a successful uh, job application. And there were some replies mm. to it, which were mainly supportive, but there were one or two which were, were they sea lining? I don't know. I feel like they were. Ben, you saw this, didn't you? I mean, since you've told us the phrase sea lining, was this a... So what was the response again? It was as the sea lining expert on the call. I judge maybe I think <laughs> well. I don't even think it was it was sea lining. I think it was just I'm just scanning my vocabulary for the appropriate word. Just <laughs> foolishness, fond of foolishness. So basically, what was this guy saying? He was saying that listen, okay, I know what you said. That basically, B A M E candidates. 
they you know they have to apply multiple times to get a job but he was like but hang on let me throw my bit in i reckon it's because they're all applying for the same jobs in more competitive places that must be the reason it can't be because of their ethnicity it can't be and you know it's just another one of these situations where people are trying to explain it away when i don't know the data's kind of telling you what we all already know yeah so i mean what do you guys make of it all we get this a lot don't we are they are these reply guys is that what we call them just people who come in and just throw a reply when i don't know it seems bizarre are there certain demographic reply guys can you like uh, profile them or are they just varied as the as it comes i don't know i mean it's, we see this a lot though isn't it like someone comes in and tries to explain things even though like the data is there and actually you know, for a lot of us, we know that that is clearly true. I mean, that's, you know, when I saw what Partha was tweeting about, I was like, yeah, you know what? I'm not surprised about that. I'm pretty sure I've heard about that kind of thing happening. You know, what can you do? And then someone will come in and say, but oh, hang on. Have you thought about the possibility that, you know, everyone of color is applying to the same places? Like, I don't know, mate. I Are mean, you just paying the I race card? To take that. Is that what you're doing? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you're taking me, you're, you're bringing me down memory lane, aren't you, uh, Thrusha? Yeah, there was a tweet where there was this young lady and she was trying to get into a club and what happened was that the bouncer said go away you stupid asian is that what it was it go away stupid asian you can't come in and then she was obviously clearly upset and then they brought the manager out and the manager said don't play the race card and it made me wonder i mean we had that experience didn't we through when we were trying to get into a club in australia and um, the australian guy said no the club's full mate and they're like what are you talking about i mean i can see people walking in and and he looked at the skin the club is full and then I was like, oh, right, yeah, okay, you know, fine. I, I see what you're saying. I probably don't want to be here anyway and just walk off even though I kind of did. We should have used the yeah. race card to get us in, special access, VIP. Isn't that what the race <laughs> card is? No. I mean, that's what it feels like. Like someone out there is going to suddenly say, well, you're just using the race card, yeah. you know, and he's like, well... Isn't that the worst card? When people say the race card, I'm like, what is the... Like, it's just, it's the worst card ever. Like, as if it's like some kind of like Trump thing, like how it like somehow yeah. gets you like reward points or something. When actually, I'd much rather not have to call out racism. I'd rather there not be racism or, uh, like, I'd rather not have to play any cards. Like, I'd rather just not have to play any games. Just, you know, have be treated normally. But, you know, mm. I always find that whole race card thing really funny because, I don't know, for the sake of someone's feelings, calling out, again, it's probably the nice and kind thing for, like, calling mm. out a behaviour. Apparently, you're kind of, I don't know, playing some kind of weird conversational game. Weird. Anyway. Yeah, it's strange, isn't it? I just don't know. Yeah, I don't know, you know, when people, I mean, you kind of want to call the race card and maybe, I don't know, like if you do make a fuss, do you want to, are you, do you really think you're going to make a change when we're coming back to that sort of be kind, be nice? Why, when do, when do people change? I mean, kind of moving on to people changing, there was a nice conversation. Well, not nice. I say interesting conversation where people were talking about someone's tweeted or said to someone else that becoming a parent has made them a better doctor and you will you will know what that's like when you become a parent as if like there are certain experiences that you can only get as a parent that will make you a better doctor until you have that you're not going to be able to be on the level that they are as a doctor where do you even i mean there was clearly a lot of conversation about that wasn't there because you know not everyone else not everyone can have kids etc etc yeah go on we we should quote the tweet just because it did get a lot yeah go for it so recently had to endure again some new mum. this is a doctor by the way wax lyrical Mm. about how much of a better doctor people are people are apparently once they have children mm. and how I'll understand when I settle down and get married and get the urge to have children and my life will then feel complete. I mean, there's so much wrong with that whole interaction. <laughs> I mean, if you're going to take it and if you're going to take, I don't know, the whole whether being a parent makes you a better doctor or life experience makes you a better doctor. But that interaction was horrible. 
I don't think there's any real. Mm. There's no. I don't think that's defendable. Uh, people have kind of tried to defend it in another, in a kind of abstract way. But that the way that's been worded, like that's out of order. It's really out of order. Um, what did you guys think? I mean, Ben, what did you think of it? Well, I think if somebody says, "Since I became a parent, I've become a better doctor," well, well good luck to you. That's absolutely. Yeah. I'm sure you have. If someone's saying pet doctors with kids are better doctors, I think that statement、mm. is just gross. Yeah, and or if you tag、mm. on a little addendum saying, "And one day you'll have kids and you'll understand," <laughs> making a lot, a lot of assumptions <laughs> about people's sexual orientations and biology、mm. and reproductive wishes、yeah. and things like that, I think it's just a, re- it's just gross. Is the only word. It's gross. It is. I、mm. saw one reply which I thought was well-meaning, but it was along the lines of, "Oh, maybe they're like sleep-deprived or something," and you know, the, and I was like, and I, I was like,、oh, I'm not sure. Like, if you do nights and you're sleep-deprived and you feel an asshole, you're still an asshole. Like, you can't just be like, "Oh, I've just done nights. I'm being a dick." Like in the same way, like it doesn't excuse、mm. problematic being being horrible. Just, oh, because、mm. there's you、no. know their parents and they're so tired. Like, don't be a dick still. That's the Roseanne defense, isn't it? The Roseanne bar. Yeah. What did she say? What did she say? She, she said some really horrendous stuff. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. And said, "Whoops, I took an Ambien before." That's right. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like yeah. maybe you, maybe you did, but the stuff came out of your brain. You know. No, honestly,、yeah, exactly. and I think I remember that, and I think、yeah. that company tweeted back saying, "Our medication does not make you a racist, racist. or something." <laughs> <laughs> We'd like to make it clear. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 I've been reading this、mm. book by、um, Malcolm Gladwell, which is called "Talking to Strangers," and it's really interesting actually because on the topic of kind of disinhibition, I guess, and behaviours, because people often do that when you know when they say they've had a bit to drink and they become disinhib- disinhibited,、yeah. and that's apparently like nonsense, and that's more of like a kind of Western thing. And there are cultures, you know, like I think there's specifically some studies that were done in Bolivia where people drink. There, there were this kind of group of people. This,、um, I think, this village or this kind of certain culture.、Uh, This kind of、uh, ecosystem where they dr- drank loads and they didn't become disinhibited. And actually, the research into it shows that alcohol just makes you a bit more myopic and focused on the moment, but it doesn't make you disinhibited.、Mm. So if you're think, if you're, I don't know, in the moment, you might you might focus on kind of more instant gratification. I think I think people sometimes think that's disinhibit disinhibition, but it's not necessarily the same thing. But、um, I just think those kind of defenses of like being tired and whatever. I just think they're just so weak. And and there was a lot of it in response to that. But then I think it, there was at the same time there was another tweet by Zeshan, you know, this kind of problematic chap, who was talking about points for being <laughs> parents on applications,、mm. which I guess、mm. was also stirring up that similar debate. Like, are people uh, uh, this whole are people kind of penalised for being parents and stuff? I, it starts to get really complicated, doesn't it? Because about you know all these things that, you know in life. Like、uh, we know that makes makes life more difficult. Like I don't know if, but like you know, both my parents were sick like during my time at medical school and school. Like you know, should I have got credit for that? You know, like should you? No, I mean, or how do you like、uh, acknowledge the things that people go through? And、um, I think there's there's certainly wits in an application if it says please explain why you're good at this skill or why you're good at that. And if you say, well, I've learned this skill because I've got. Three kids under five, and I work part time, and that has really helped me. You know, and if you want to, I, I think that's great. Or, or you want to say I'm a carer for for a family member, but I think actually awarding points, quantitative points,、mm. for this is what he was discussing, right? There was a job、yeah. application where it says you get extra points for winning an award,、um, being a captain of something, or having a family, which、mm. I just really blew my mind because、yeah. I know that applications are 
a little bit risible and you know why should the fact that you were the captain of the rowing team at university mean you're, mean you're going to be a better doctor and, and we've been laughing at that for many generations but mm. at least everything on an application form should be technically achievable mm, like yeah. if you could still do that um but to actually get points and maybe get a job based on the fact you've had children it's not achievable so it's not equitable i mean as try as i might i cannot and neither can my husband have a child and people say oh well maybe adoption but and yeah and one day i'll write a book about trying to navigate the adoption system as a queer couple you can't just acquire a child mm. and i think that it is well it's the nine points it's to to a certain i'm not talking about gay people i'm talking about people who don't can't don't want to have children um and those points become yeah, unavailable sure. and then their name goes further down the pile of applicants in terms of who gets the position and i just find that a little bit off that's it that's it ill with me personally to me yeah i mean it's a wrong point system isn't it like yeah yeah like you said as if yeah as if having kids gives you like more points over someone else and like you said that you know i think i've had family members who haven't been able to have kids straight away and there's been quite a difficult time for them you know or not been able to have kids at all and they've had to sit there and listen to people talk about children and talk about you know all these conversations about oh you know when you become a parent and they've just had to sit there and sort of I don't know, just you can see that in their faces, they're a bit sad about the whole thing and people not quite understanding that. Maybe some people don't want kids. Maybe some people can't have kids and yeah. these aren't things to be, you know, there's not a point scoring system. I mean, that, those are things that just, just life, isn't it? You know? Yeah, as you say. Yeah. I mean, the great minds of Twitter were really going at it, weren't they? And I think the thing is, is that it's just, <laughs> it's a really difficult kind of, was it square to circle or however that line goes? But like, it's mm. clear that there are things in like, but I think as you say, but Ben, there's like the white box things where you can talk about how things, you know, your specific kind of like life journey um, mm. kind of, benefited or kind of helped with your experience but i think arbitrarily trying to avoid, award points to things like to, to like life experiences seems kind of nebulous doesn't it and it's really value-based and as you say not fair kind of yeah mm. i mean speaking about sort of life experiences i mean we all have different life experiences of being medical professionals being in medicine but we saw someone come out with a tweet and i'm just going to read it out because i think it's quite a nice one and not one that we see very often i tweeted yesterday that i've decided to leave med school. My DMs are now full of sad, terrified, alone, conflicted, unhappy med students asking for reassurance advice and doctors telling me that despite medicine making me suicidal, I should continue. Do we see the problem here? And it's quite a long thread, I won't read the whole thing. But it's not something we see very often where someone has been so open about leaving med school and, you know, and the reasons why they're leaving med school, having asked themselves, you know, very, very important questions that maybe we should all ask ourselves before we come to med school. You know, and the fact that their tweet resonated with so many people means that there's a lot of people in that similar situation of feeling like maybe this isn't for them. But then, you know, if they if they feel like that, they're not feeling that they can leave or they feel they're trapped when they maybe they shouldn't be. I mean, did you guys ever feel like that at all? Because I feel like I did a few times feel like, you know what, I'm trapped here and there's nothing I can do about it. I've just got to keep going. Absolutely. I still have days like that now, but uh, <laughs> they're not very common. But definitely when I was at med school where I... Yeah, I had dark, dark times where you think I'm, I've, I just, I can't reverse out of this cul-de-sac because the weight of expectations for myself, my family. I mean, mm. how many times am I going to have to defend this decision if I decided to, yeah. to pack it all in? I mean, mm. these were fleeting for me and I'm very satisfied with my job now. But I think if someone was having persistent, pervasive thoughts of I've really, in, I'm in the wrong lane here. This is not my life. This is not for me at all. To back out of it and say, okay, I'm going to do something different now, I find unbelievably brave. And mm. I just, I was, I thought it was a really powerful thread to read. 
especially when they really dissected and reflected on what drove them into medical school in the first place and whether mm. those were the right reasons. And I thought, wow, this person has really, you know, articulated very, very well the thought process and maybe it will help other people. It must be, mm. it, it, you know, you can, you can leave. I think we have to leave mm. that out there. You can leave if this isn't working for you and there's no mm. shame in it. You didn't fail. It means you're moving yeah, on to absolutely. something else. I find that really brave. Yeah, yeah. Mm. I think that's the thing, isn't it? Some of the responses were like, oh, you know, you can still do it and oh, I don't give up and all this kind of stuff. And I've got to say that I was kind of guilty of that. I think that, well, I had a, a friend who, for exams at medical school, she, I remember she just, so like, uh, we just kind of, afterwards, you know, where you kind of meet for the kind of post-mortem and stuff. She just wasn't there. Like, just, and we're like, oh, where was she? None of us saw her turn up. And, and then she ended up kind of sitting the exam at a later date. And then there was a, another exam, I think probably a few months later, which she again didn't attend for. And I'm being, not really understanding what was going on. And um, I remember kind of going on at her and like in retrospect, like, what the hell was I doing? Like, what kind of friend was I being? Like thinking that, oh, mm. you know, I could pep talk her into kind of continuing medicine and oh, you know. And I think because, and I think I was certainly guilty of putting my own values on her and kind of mm. thinking, oh, you know, this thing, oh, it's really hard, and yeah, and all, but you can do it, and all this kind of can-do stuff, but actually, if it's harming your mental health, and if it's not right for you, it's not right for you, but it's funny, isn't it, because you have to find, as a friend, you need to find that line between realising that someone's kind of suffering, and it isn't right for them, and not, and yeah. kind of taking the other, you know, not kind of trying to jig them on, jolly them on, or whatever, but kind of actually, you know, supporting them, make I mean, I, I had a friend similar position. He got all the way to his final final exams, and he sat first time failed it, second time failed it, and then he just refused, and they said you're gonna have to sit again, but you have to sit in a year's time, and he refused to turn up and said he quit. And I think I, I remember talking to him for ages trying to get him back because I th I felt as though even though he didn't want to do medicine, if he could just sit that exam and pass, he'll have a DR in front of his name, and the last six years wouldn't have been a waste. And that's what I that's that's what I felt at the time, but he left anyway, and I think he's a lot happier now. And I I often look back thinking like maybe I shouldn't have. You know, I don't know, I, I guess, you know, like for me anyway, I was trying to think about what my intentions were. And I, I think my intentions are good at the time, but now looking back, it, you, obviously life tells you that there's more to life than, than this and getting this DR in front of your name and doing this job. If you're truly unhappy, then you're unhappy. Having said that, though, I think I spent, and I've said this before, I think I spent the majority of my medical school being very, very unhappy. The training, uh, you know, the F2 and F2 were pretty good. And then majority of my training, very, very unhappy. And I'd actually only say now being a consultant has been it's been all right. Like I've actually started to enjoy my career. And I've said this before, like I, I regret not enjoying those years more because I think I was trying to get to the end as quickly as possible. Like I just needed to get there and everything was getting in my way. Loads of things, exams and all the ARCPs were just getting in my way, but I just wanted to get to the end. Yeah, and I don't know what the moral of that... I mean, I guess there's like a personal survival bias, isn't it? Like, oh, well, you know, I had a terrible time, but I got there in the end and it's actually all right now. But that's me personally. It worked out for me, but I guess it doesn't work out for everyone. It's not the right thing for everyone. Yeah, I don't know what the answer is, but I guess this person, yeah, very, very brave for, for coming out with it. And like you said, Ben, hopefully has helped a lot of people. Yeah, hopefully helped a lot of people deal with what could potentially be a very difficult uh, crossroads in their life. Talking about crossroads in your life, though, we had a, another tweet from an F1 who started, who went onto the wards and started their job around the time COVID kicked off. Now, Ben, you were you were right in the front line. I mean, I was in the I was in the back I was in the back room. I wasn't even you know I was like I don't know, seeing the back background, like reporting these scans that Ben was probably <laughs> asking me to say, and I'd be like, yeah, 
Yeah, it's like, you do it. You go for it, Ben. And then I'll be like, insert COVID template. Insert COVID template. Thanks, insert COVID for, doing, template. thanks for doing all my CTPAs, Imran. <laughs> I do it. wonder, have you ever seen a report from me? Because I do end up occasionally writing reports. For, I don't think for so. Oh, but you know what? I don't look. I don't look at the same. So maybe I'll start. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah, you can tweet back at me like, what on earth are you trying to say? I was like, I don't know, mate. I was trying to get paid. Yeah, go on. <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah, now how was your experience of it, the whole thing? We were, it's funny because right at the beginning of the first wave, all those, all those years ago, when I was a boy, we, <laughs> we, were ready, we were ready to go. We transformed the AMU into a CPAP COVID unit. And, and then at the very first hurdle, I fell and got COVID. Like I was the first person oh. in London, <laughs> where it felt like, in my hospital to get COVID. And off I, I went sick for the first week. And I feel like I missed the beginning of the party. Um, I think all the, the oh. FY ones who started in the middle of the the wave, whatever wave it was, were uniformly excellent. And I remember being amazed mm. at just how cool and level-headed they were. Um, and I could give them a list of stuff to do, and they would do it. I thought that was really, really good. And most of them, well, in fact, all of them just just coped really well with good humour. I always rely. I mean, I I'm always picking up juniors. We have a massive unit with so many juniors on it, and they often get me through a shift. You know, they they chivvy me along. You know, they have, they've got the banter. They've got a sense of humour. And um, I love it when the FY1s join and they just become part of the family as well. Um, they just they immediately mm. take on the mantle uh, and the culture of the workplace. And it must have been incredibly difficult. And they saw some crazy stuff in their first few months that you don't normally see as an FY1 maybe, you know, in your first placement ever. But mm. I was always very much bowled over by their fortitude, their good humor, and their abilities. And if any of them are listening, shout out to you. You were great. The whole thing was scary, wasn't it? Because we started getting like every scan that weekend when it really kicked off was COVID. Even the CTKUBs were COVID. Even the abdopelvises were COVID. You know, you just go to the top of the lungs. And, like, and I started thinking, like, when are people going to have normal lungs again? Like, when's that going to happen? Am I going to see normal lungs? It was actually like, felt like a treat to say, you know, insert normal lungs yeah, as my template, which is another template I use uh, for my report, my reporting. You're giving away all your trade secrets here, in man. <laughs> a fascinating insight into a radiological career here. Have you ever used the wrong template by accident and just copied in the wrong thing? Well, mate, you know what? I've sometimes I've done the template and not actually written a conclusion. It just has a little <laughs> box. <laughs> or I've actually said insert normal and it's actually written insert normal and I've gone unauthorized oh. and it's gone out as insert normal. So I had to go back. And just... <laughs> Error in original report. Insert normal is not the report. How embarrassing it is. <laughs> Memo to self. Insert text here. Yeah. Also buy socks. <laughs> That thread is is so good. There are so many kind of like just kind of really quite sad insights. Um, the one though, I don't know if I could mention like one of her many tweets um, in this thread, which I really recommend. So it's for a vote for Honey. She's got quite a big following anyway because I think she kind of tweets a lot of stuff about skincare and things. But she was talking mm. about the days we had to call relatives up, and that must have been really tough because of visitors and things. And uh... it, it was it was the death. It was the the, the death. I think. With, with you get you were they were exposed to way more death in in a few months than you really get in your entire medical career, mm. and I think that is must have worn it worn me down. It must have worn them down a much. To have that right at the front end of your career to be confirming death, to be ringing relatives to tell them about death, yeah. it's mm. not in, normally something you do out of med school, and uh, that was tough. In your role, is there much kind of um, 
in terms of I'm sure that there is right but in terms of like discussion as to going forward the like long-term implications of this on I don't know like mental well-being and stuff I guess like is that something oh well you're in education I mean is that there's a lot of work being done there's a lot of work being done my two cents worth says in med ed is that uh there's been an awful lot of things at least offered at my institution of well-being um you know, using the R word, which people are very suspicious about, and about debriefing and stuff like that. And the uptake amongst the medical staff has been very, very low, um, okay. much lower than, say, for example, mm. nurses and the physios have taken up. And I think right. there are massive complex cultural reasons why doctors are seem to be less keen to take up psychological support mm. services. Either they mm. think they don't need them or they won't work or it's none of their business or they have their own preferred ways of debriefing and deloading mm. by talking to each other, which is actually the subject of my master's dissertation, how uh, undergraduates mm. uh, deload, decompress after the workplace. And I think mm. they prefer to do it in a social way, in an informal way. Okay. And I don't think many okay. medics enjoy sitting in a room saying, let's talk about our feelings and how it made us feel. And this is just my own research, my own impression. So there are services already there, but the uptake is not okay. very high. I mean, I don't know what you think about that. If someone offered you, hey, let's have a debrief session or, or something like that, would you take it? How are you feeling sort of session? Mm. I mean, f for me, I've spoken about this before. I was going through a tough time and I took up uh, CBT, so cognitive behavioral therapy during my training. And actually, like I said before, it was probably one of the most important experiences of my life. Because, I mean, you know, you kind of have your own thoughts, but then when someone's, it sounds probably like I'm dumbing it, dumbing it down a bit, but like when someone's gone out there and studied about thinking about, they've thought about how to think and the patterns as to why people think certain ways. And that, those are kind of thoughts that you never had yourself. And when someone presents you with that, sort of like, you know what, have you ever thought about this? Or, you know, the reason why you're thinking this is because of this. And you just think to yourself, that's really interesting. And I've actually become more and more open to sort of any sort of, um, any sort of, you know, t like coaching and, uh, you know, any sort of therapy and things like that. And, and yeah, I mean, look, recently I have taken on a coach of sorts, uh, not a life coach, but actually more of a business coach, which uh, I thought might as well just give it a go because I do run other things. And um, it's been really, really beneficial. It's been really, really beneficial just to have someone to sort of um, talk to about some of the things that I think with business anyway, like a lot of the time you feel as though you've got to figure out yourself that you know it's, it's up to you it's on you to try and figure out where to go how to do things but actually like being able to talk to someone else about it and just relay a few ideas and have them as a coach not not as your wife or not your mate to just talk about things mm. it's been incredibly useful so i think coaching in any sort of form i mean we see all the time with personal trainers you know mm. like you can't do it on your own so you get a personal trainer if you want to get somewhere get someone to help you to do it and so i've become more and more uh, open to the idea and i think anyone anyone that finds themselves in so, any sort of difficulty should find help, whatever it is. If it's, you know, trying to get fit, go get a PT if you can, or find some professional help or something, if you can manage it. I do think it's a very, very important thing that a lot of us don't take seriously enough. Yeah, Trusha? Yeah, you're certainly kind of preaching to the converted because like um, with uh, what happened with my son, I was kind of pretty strongly recommended to like do it. Mm. And so I got some uh, talking base therapy. So that was through the... PSW, I think that's like personal support, mm. something, workshop, or something along those mm. lines. And so I got, and they were kind of paid by the deanery, six sessions. It was really good. It was mm. over Zoom. And so they, these things are mm. out there. I guess it's helpful for people maybe to hear that we do, that we're kind of very great. I just don't think there's any shame in it because I, mm. I definitely felt like um, I needed it and it was really helpful to kind of like, I think because like 
Because you get kind of loads of really like conflicting advice. Certainly, like culturally, like I trying to kind of explain that I wasn't in the right place, like mentally, to my parents. Especially when they were like, "Oh, but mm. your son's okay now," and and I was like, "Yeah, but I'm not." Like I was, I just you know, it was awful. <laughs> like if I'd hear like alarms, mm. it would like trigger me, and or like even babies crying. Oh my god, I remember when he'd like he came home and he was crying. Sometimes I'd have like this really weird kind of response to it, which would I'd just get super like over the top stressed over the top like mm. it was just and I, so in reflection it was because when he was on CPAP and he'd cry like he'd um, he'd sat to drop and it's because mm. he wasn't like, being ventilated and so then I'd freak mm. out and so like alarms or babies crying would like set off this kind of really weird kind of panic reaction for like me. a cascade yeah, yeah. it's really helpful for me to ha- just kind of like talk it through with someone and uh, so I can't recommend it enough it really helped me so yeah I definitely like those things are out there people like try it i mean what have you got to lose i mean that's interesting ben i mean so you're saying that doctors are less likely to really get help when that help is embedded into the work structure example Mm. if you said to all the juniors who came on today saying okay you've all been signed for an hour of talking to this trained professional today during your shift they'll all say well then i finish my shift an hour late because who's doing my work when i'm in there no thanks Oh, okay, mm. I'll assign you to see them on your zero day. No, my zero day belongs <laughs> to me. I don't want to, you know, so it's hard to carve out a space for them. So when it's offered within the, the structure of their actual working lives, the uptake is very poor. For what you guys are saying, if you have access to these things on your, your it's coming from yourself on a one-on-one session, that's fantastic. I think if you said to doctors, okay, sign up over here, it's going to happen on your working day. I think people would find it very hard to say to their team, oh, I've got to go now. It's 11. I've got my meeting with my, you know, whatever, my talking therapist in the, in the seminar. I'll be back in an hour. Mm. You know, get those cannulas in for me. I'll see you later. That doesn't seem to work within the, the medical the clinical structure of a working day. Mm. But in, in America, isn't it quite normal to have a therapist? I mean, I don't know because I, I guess I, I haven't asked my American friends. But I mean, you often hear it in passing conversation and TV shows and stuff that people seem to have therapists, not like an unusual thing. Maybe that's something we should bring, I mean, have, like just it's a normal thing to have. Like every, because doctors go through a lot. I mean, like you said, you know, Ben, you, when you talked about the junior doctors having to deal with death, like I remember when I first, when I first qualified and then having our first patient pass away, like I suddenly, it sounds so silly now, but I suddenly, you know, when you're young, you just think you're going to live forever. You don't, you never think about like, oh, the possibility of, I might be the person in that bed one day passing away, right? And then all of a sudden I, was, I found myself on the way back home thinking about that, thinking about like, oh, you know, like if I'm lucky I'll be old in that bed, maybe I won't be. Like what's going to happen? Like how do I know I'm going to be around next week? And that whole thing was so much to deal with. Like it probably would have been a good thing to talk to someone. But, you know, like Therusha, I had my parents. I don't know whether they'd be really willing. I mean, they'd be like, oh, you're a doctor. What's the big deal? Like, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, mate, I remember, like, my dad would be like, oh, why don't you drink some more water? Drink some more water. And I remember, like, what? <laughs> he was like, oh, I heard, like, Piers Morgan. He was talking about, like, uh, footballers. And, you know, like, there was a famous footballer who talked about being depressed. And he's like, oh, I heard Piers Morgan. And I, as soon as he started to say Piers Morgan, I already felt like, you know, my, my chest, like, oh, my God, <laughs> what's he going to say? And he's like, Piers Morgan said, oh, why don't you score more goals? You, you're, you'll feel less depressed then. And my dad, like, saying it to me, like, it was, like, some really clever thing to say. And I'd be just absolutely just losing my rag, like, because it was... <laughs> but, and, you know, my dad's just like, oh, why are you getting angry with me? <laughs> <laughs> oh god uh, yeah drink some more water Thrusha angry is quite the sight to see ben i have to tell you yeah it's, it's quite the yeah, sight when but when Thrusha loses it it's uh yeah it you dead. get a deo- 
Trusha, would you like to tell Ben what you did to me all those years ago when you lost you lost it with me? People think we don't have arguments, but uh, we have. What, what did you do to me, Trusha, all those years ago? Well, I actually don't remember doing this, but you said I sprayed you in the face with... Uh, with deodorant, yeah. <laughs> and for the life of me, the thing is... The thing is, is that you remember, but I actually don't remember. I don't even remember what it's about. But the thing is, when you like mention it, I'm like, yeah, that checks out. I mean, that is probably something I do. You don't remember because the red mist had come down and you were just completely drunk on rage. Absolutely. Yeah, mm, absolutely. What's wrong with me? Yeah, Jesus. yeah. It could have been anything. It could have been anything. Ben, I can't imagine you. No, it's always scarier when, when like nicer people get angry because it's the... The dissonance of, the, of them not that's not being within their personality is actually yeah. quite alarming to me. Mm-hmm. So if, if an angry person gets angry, you're like, what else is new? But when <laughs> someone who never loses their temper loses their shit, I find that quite upsetting. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I run yeah, away. Yeah, it reminds me of a father-in-law. He's he's such a gentle soul, but if he if he gets a bit upset, you're like, oh. <laughs> I mean, if he, even if he's a bit a bit disappointed, a little bit, you're like, oh, something something's happened. You know, we're gonna someone needs to sort this out. We can't be handling it. But if it was my dad. God, you know, if, he, if he's going to lose his temper, is that well, here we go again. What yeah, a surprise. Let's um, everyone deal with it. Have you guys ever lost it at work? No, I'm no. I had gone off on my own and lost it in private and had an imaginary conversation uh. with someone or a confrontation with someone. I've never had a screaming row with someone, if that's what you mean at work, because my, I just, my person, I, doesn't, I don't mm. work like that. I'm much more likely to go into the toilet and have a cry. <laughs> no, I, no, but that's interesting that, no, I mean, like, the you having an imaginary conversation with someone sounds so, like, well-adjusted. Like, how did you manage to take yourself... Like, that's the problem with me, is that too many... Her, like, Doesn't everybody have imaginary conversations? Well, have that imaginary with conversation with someone? Oh, no. No. But, you know, <laughs> the, pe- the people who go, oh, yeah, like, I went and wrote a draft, I wrote a draft email and then click send. I'm like, what? You didn't click send? <laughs> Rechannel it, rechannel it. I'm a one size on the ward, and uh, I got I was a med reg, and I got absolutely very, very rudely spoken to and rudely treated by a vascular yes. reg. And I never forgiven the whole specialty of vascular since then because I hold a grudge. Right. And he was so horrible to me. Um, but I, because I go quite, I glaze over in, in any kind of conflict. I could, I go very, very quiet because I just can't bear it at all. Um, and I actually end up because I couldn't get it out of yeah. my head. I wrote an article about arguments in the workplace and I published in the BMJ. That's how wow. you channel your anger in the workplace. Yeah, wow. wow. You turn it into creativity. So, you know, what's your... <laughs> it's amazing. That's yeah, inspirational. That is, That's inspirational. That is inspirational. Right I had that the only way I could get it out of my system. Um, I had to write it down and sort of reflect why, why I was having such a strong emotional response to it. I think, you know, I, I've had, I've, I used to, when I was a more junior registrar, get into arguments. And um, I feel, I'm, I mean, I feel insanely embarrassed about it now, looking back, and why did I do that? But as a combination of, like, young radiology, quotation mark, registrar, with new power to say yes and no, taking referrals, and thinking my job was to limit the number of scans, and actually part of the reason I was limiting the number of scans were happening, because I wasn't confident enough to be able to do a good job of the scans in the first place. There was so much like insecurity in the reasons I was saying no and getting yeah, into arguments. So actually now looking back, and I, it didn't take me to maybe second or third year to realize like, why am I saying no to so many things? It's just not worth my time, you know? And actually these scans are interesting. I, I could learn something from it. And if there's a normal scan, there's a normal scan. What can you do? Yeah, so I've, I've kind of become, I don't get into arguments at work anymore, but I, I used to, unfortunately. And I have to admit that, you know, I hold my hands up and uh, apologize to anyone that may have interacted with a younger Dr. Lasker trying to get a scan a scan through 
But it's very interesting you mentioned getting a paper through, Ben, you know, using channeling your energy into getting a paper through. We did want to talk about a paper, didn't we, Thrusha? Uh, I mean, we saw a paper that turn up. Historically, the anatomy... Yeah, go on, you, you do it. I mean, that was one... I mean, where the, I guess the headline, I, I've got to say that I'm guilty of not actually reading the article and just seeing the headline and being like, what? That's probably mm. part of the problem, really. So the, I guess the quote that kind of is the thing that sticks out is the term bodies with vaginas. Mm. So I saw, I saw kind of a quote tweet of it where people were like, oh, well, you know, am I honestly reading this? It's supposed to be from this most prestigious medical journal in the world. But then... It's so, and then it obviously generated a lot of kind of interest. But mm. then you actually went and read the article, which is again, you're just so much. It was a brilliant article. It was a book review. You're a much better person than us. It was a book review, actually. And they <laughs> right. were reviewing what sounds like a bloody interesting book about misogyny over the years towards women and periods. Right. Yeah. And that they took a, a line, and in the context of the article, that sentence didn't actually hit the, the eye so weirdly because it was in a paragraph about bodies and how they're different in physiology and in anatomy. And so that little sentence saying, and of course, bodies with vaginas have often been, you know, have received lots of stigma over the years. And so it didn't actually, but when they took it out of that and put in isolation on the front, boy, was that a clunker. And I think I know what happened. Mm. I think they were trying to be inclusive and they staggered off in the wrong direction. And they actually right. ended up putting something that looked pretty, well, it was misogynistic because it looked like they were saying mm. bodies with vaginas as a metonym for women in general mm. with there's no other way of reading it on its own like that and yeah. it was very mm. unfortunate and the issued an apology the editor did and the apology was not great it basically said we mm. will always defend you know sticking to our inclusive language and i can i i feel like they were trying to do the right thing but they overcorrected and it went it went horribly wrong not to yeah, absolve them mm. not to absolve them of what they did which to put that statement in boldly on the front page where this, someone must have realized that it just looked awful. It looked like that was they, they were afraid or they were not going to use the word woman and they were going to replace it with this horrible word, this uh, phrase instead. Mm. That's interesting, yeah. I mean, I mean, there was another paper, wasn't there, yeah, you wanted to talk about? Similar caliber. Mm. The, <laughs> is in clinical <laughs> medicine. Are doctors aware of how their tweets view, are viewed in the public and by their patients? Should it matter? Um, so there's this... It's an article by Jonathan Segal and Jakub Killick. Now, I know for a fact, mm. I mean, I mentioned their names as if they play the bingo thing, but th that's something they took issue to. And I wonder if that was some of the impetus for the article. And probably, mm. I don't know, I mean, I ended up blocking Dr. Segal just mainly from the perspective of they seem so unhappy with perhaps frivolity from like doctors' social media accounts. I mean, it's all about professionalism, isn't it? And how mm. you know, doctors conduct themselves on Twitter and whether it's unprofessional or whether you should kind of cultivate more of an academic profile or whatever before you say anything on Twitter. And so I blocked him because I was like, oh, well, you know, if that's how... I mean, I've been told, oh, you know, you're... Because I, I just pretty much do fart jokes and uh, just uh, post stuff about uh, Lily finding me stupid, which she does. And so mm. I was a bit like, oh, maybe he just doesn't need to see... I don't know. I just kind of felt like if he's just going to think i'm an idiot then maybe i should just block him but then this person was talking about how you know we should try and as doctors try and further ourselves and be more well known by doing papers rather than tweeting all day but then they did a paper about tweeting and then tweeted about that paper yeah. the whole thing was just so sort of weird I, I didn't know you know it took my mind a bit of time to sort of figure out what on earth had just happened here they did some qualitative research didn't they yeah it wasn't, I don't know, I'm probably biased. Was it qualitative or was it quantitative? I feel like they sent out a survey and then they did a multivariate analysis on the data. Yes, excuse me. Yeah, yeah they did. I, don't, mm. I can't remember if there was so a qualitative aspect to it, but they... Mm. Yes, I agree. 
No, they, they, they wrote a survey saying, do you agree with my opinion about this, yes or no? And it was quite a leading. I mean, mm, I think it's yeah. great when I see trainees getting involved in publication, academia, and I think that's you know a great achievement for them. I feel like it's a, it's a, it's been journal clubbed to death on Med Twitter, and uh, probably quite mm. rightly so as a paper. They say their own limitations. They have not defined professionalism, yet they use the mm. word very liberally all the way through, you know, as if it was a defined concept. Yeah, I just don't get how you're going to get quantitative. Like, how do you generate kind of uh, values from the term unprofessional anyway? That just seems weird, doesn't it? And then what they must add but mm. you know, unprofessionals having a private life mm. you know i just <laughs> yeah. putting pictures of my cats which i do a lot of i don't yeah, know it and that seemed to be captured under the umbrella term unprofessional in their paper so which i would take a bit of umbrage to i think yeah. we need to defend our right to have a to have self-complexity to have other mm. facets to our lives i think that's mm. very important I, th- I think that's pretty healthy for the public to see that doctors are human beings to do other stuff personally mm. Yeah, I think, I mean, we've seen a few accounts and a few people raise concern or, you know, have their issues with the whole med Twitter thing. You know, I I guess they don't like the pylons and they don't like the idea that there are some people with bigger followings than others. And but it's a bit like, well, you know, what do you expect us to do? Be doctors and just sort of not exist like Twitter is not allowed. Facebook's not allowed. We're not allowed to do YouTube. We're not allowed to do anything. We just have to. The only thing that we're allowed to do to express ourselves is write papers. I mean, could you imagine if we just had to communicate through papers instead of communica- communicating through Twitter? Yeah. I mean, it'd be paper every week on like all sorts of things. Do you think that's what LinkedIn is like? <laughs> Maybe. I don't understand LinkedIn. I don't know what, what it is. Oh, LinkedIn is awesome, man. Really? LinkedIn, I love LinkedIn. I'm on it. I'm yeah, on it, but yeah, I, yeah. I don't know what it does or mm. what it is. I, I don't understand the interface at all or what it's called. It's like Facebook, really. That's all it is. And no, it's, become, it's becoming more and more Facebook-y, but... Um, it's a professional social uh, network and it's been quite useful actually. I've met some very interesting people. So I keep getting messages from people like companies that are doing some sort of AI algorithm to basically take my job and they want to talk to me. So I, I give them an hour, <laughs> chat to them. Sometimes I give you Amazon vouchers, which is great. Oh, you know, I'm, I'll, yeah, 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 yeah. I've, I've done fairly oh, well right. from phone calls and uh, yeah, they will talk yeah. to me about, yeah, biopsy needles and they're doing some research on biopsy needles. What's my opinion and all this kind of <laughs> stuff. It's been really, really fun. Well, I like free stuff. I should get on there and get something. <laughs> I didn't realize this was the deal. Yeah. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah, genuinely, genuinely. I genuinely look, I'll tell you afterwards, but uh, yeah, there's there's a lot of things that uh, LinkedIn's been good for. Will you introduce me to all the cool kids? Can I be in your gang? Yeah, yeah join my <laughs> gang. I'll, I'll get you involved. <laughs> But yeah, I do. I'm the kind of person that I like genuinely that I think I've spoken to recruitment companies, teleology companies, artificial intelligence companies, loads of the, uh, you know, online daikon viewers. It's amazing the stuff that people are up to and just having conversations and just learning about it. It's been brutal. I, I like LinkedIn. Yeah. Maybe it's unusual for a doctor, but I would, I'd highly recommend getting involved. Yeah, cool. I mean, look, where are we? One one hour? To, yeah, we're, we're kind of up to time, are we? Was there anything else you wanted to throw in through? Was there anything else we want to bring in, Ben? I mean, there was the kind of casual misogyny of that, oh, but there's this guy, I mean, there, there is every week, there's the guy who said, he kind of responded to a, a question which is about being a surgeon, oh, yeah. and how many surgeries do you do in a week? And there's some replies from that, which was horrendous. Yeah, was so that... what was it? Like, go on, let's, let's go through that, let's go through that. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, <go> <laughs> so the question was, uh, how many, uh, so how does being a surgeon work? How many surgeries do you do per week? Are they all stressful? And then someone replied saying, this guy called Tommy, um, it depends on the type of surgery. You can drop in a few stents, which are in one day as a cardiologist, which I found a bit objectionable. <laughs> drop in a few stents. God, <laughs> it's an art. Don't drop them in. 
and, uh, and and he said can't do the same for knees if you're ortho and then someone replied to the surgeon and i think the problem that this person had with the the reply was that it was by a woman because she said something along the lines of well you know you could do between five or nine like knees in a day and then he and then his responses mm. to that were just plain rude it was like oh are you even like a doctor Mm. It wasn't discussion. It was yeah, just like, yeah. Oh, you, go on. Are you really even a doctor? Do you have like just a PhD in graphics design? And like um, he's just like coming at it. But the thing was is that there were loads of responses to it. There's loads of anger, including from me. I, I wrote a little angry response, but he didn't reply to me. But he did reply angrily mm. to this woman. Mm. Like, it was just he obviously felt emboldened mm. enough to reply horribly to this woman, but not to anyone else. I mean, it's just so strange, isn't it? It's like, because your experience is not the same as someone else's experience, it negates the other person's experience. So this person's experience was that you can do this man, this much surgery, and this per- the other person's like, no, you can't. It was bizarre to watch. It's just, yeah, I don't know. It's just another situation of, like, keyboard hero. Oh, he's a reply guy. He's a reply guy, like you said at the beginning. Mm. He's a reply guy. Yeah. Do you ever get yeah, into just... it with reply guys? I mean, I do. Never. How Never. do you... So what, is this mm. one of those things where you, do you just save the energy for another article? Is that what you're doing? <laughs> I go and lock myself in my little room and I write my little articles and cry so much better than me. Fade in the ashes. Yeah, you like with the quiet, you like you use the tears though, and you bottle them, and you're like, that's how you get to San Pellegrino. Woo! <laughs> and that's why I look so great. <laughs> All right, no need to laugh out so bloody loudly. <laughs> there's a line between sort of representing and showing, you know, allyship, and then there's there's just. Um, talking to someone who's so boneheaded, they're just going to keep saying rude things over and over. I think most people who use Twitter can mm. sort of identify those sorts of people now. Um, at least I can. And I think there's mm. literally no point. You know, there are some people who go, do you know what? I never thought of it like that. And yeah. That's a really good point. I'll, I'll delete that original tweet or I'll change my mind. And there are people, most people who won't. And I, I think I can spot them. Yeah, fair mm. enough. I mean, that's very wise. That's very wise. I remember speaking to like a, another wise account called uh, Minna. And he said, actually, when I reply to those people, it's not it's not for them. It's so that everyone else can see that. Yeah, I guess. That you're sticking, you've got their back. Yeah, yeah. So I, guess I see that mm. argument. I do. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm amazed, you know, have you guys ever tweeted anything which you thought was completely benign and it's actually upset a bunch of people and they've got yeah, really a thread developed? I sit around every day. I sit around every day. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll like tweet about surgeons or make a joke about referrals. And yeah, then suddenly it becomes, I think I've, I've noticed, I mean, if we do have any, I think we do have American listeners, actually. Mm. I've noticed the Americans get really wound up very, very quickly. It's a meme. Don't take the meme so seriously. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's sometimes mm. it happens and I go back and I read my tweet and I try and read it again and think, oh, am I missed a meaning here? No, it's fine. It's, it's, it's mm. them. It's no. I mean, there are enough times where, you know, you tweet or you go to tweet something and you have to, you sort of bite your tongue. What's the tweet mm. equivalent of bite your tongue? Sit on your yeah, hand. Yeah. Bite Draft. your thumb. I was <laughs> going to say sit on your thumb there, but that sounded a bit dodgy. Um, <laughs> you just delete it. Yeah, it's sitting on my thumb, you know, minding my business. You don't send it, but sometimes I send things out there in completely good faith. And then I go back and look at the thread. I'm like, wow. Uh, that has been taken mm. a completely different way of it. And I wonder if it does happen to, not this guy, by the way, the reply guy, but it does happen to some people. Mm. And then the test is, what do you do? Do mm. you say, whoops, sorry, I've offended. That was not my intention. I do apologize. Or do you say, you guys are stupid. My tweet, mm. my tweet was fine. You know, it's, I never know. Mm. I end up just muting the thread and moving on with my life and saying, you guys can argue amongst yourselves. And I do that quite a lot of times. And never go back oh, to the garbage I created. That's a good oh, idea. Yeah. I, I probably should do that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah. That's fun. Yeah. 
Cool. Uh, I think that's it, isn't it? We've uh, we've been through most things. Ben, you know, any any part, you know, you, you seem much wiser than us. Any parting yeah. words of wisdom for our listeners? Anything you'd like to throw at them? About what? About using Twitter or about their medical careers or life? Life. Anything, anything, yeah, yeah. I did stay a lot of guests and they just bit thrown back, but yeah, go on, go for it. Something, some wise words of wisdom, someone who's weathered as you. Use sunscreen, that's always a good one. <laughs> Fair enough. Take it from Auntie Ben, you're, you're, you'll be thankful when you're in your 40s. Mm. Start wearing sunscreen now, and otherwise yeah. do as you will. Mm. Fair enough. Well, Fair Ben, enough. thank you so much. I've had fun, thank you for having me. Yeah, and you had an award today, awesome. wasn't it? Yeah, you, you've yeah. come close to awards to us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Tell us about your award. Tell us. Well, I see yeah. you as an award-winning educationalist. Thank you very much. I have Obviously. won excellence in education. And I know everyone laughs at them, so, um, you know. But I won an excellence in an education award today for my work with junior doctors, which felt very nice. So I dedicated all the junior doctors. And I do run myself ragged over the little bastards, but I love them and I want them to have a good training experience. <laughs> Well, congratulations. Well earned, I'm sure. Yeah. Thank you. All right. So, yeah, thank you, everyone, for listening to us for another week. We will be back next week with another episode. I say this every week, don't I? Uh, Let's not get cancelled. Be nice to each other and uh, try and stay out of trouble, everyone. All right, then. Bye. And you've been listening to Two Medics and One Mic with Imran Lasker and Darusha Gavadna. Thank you for listening.